This is the greatest hour to follow Jesus. Somebody very special is joining us tonight to speak into us, somebody I esteem and love, uh, deeply honor, who has uh, been a leader in the body for years. Mike Bickle is joining us tonight. And what a privilege it is to have Mike. Is he there? There he is. Okay. Well, Mike, I don't want to take too much time. We're here. We're hungry, we love you, we, we honor you, we thank you for your leadership. Gosh, over decades and decades, and thank you for doing this the right way, for loving Jesus beautifully, for setting an incredible example, and uh, uh, for being God's friend. It provokes us to want to know the Lord more. So welcome back to Jesus Image Mike. Guys, can we welcome Mike Bickle? Now, uh, be, before Mike gets started, uh, in, Mike, in Mike Bickle style, he wants everyone to have a handout. Do you have it? Okay. I would uh, not throw this out. You'll need it forever. Okay? Mike, it's all yours. We love you. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's a joy. I've been a part of your worship this last hour. Like, wow. We are kindred spirit. I feel like I'm at home. I feel like, yes, yes, Lord, raise up more and more ministries like this, Lord, across the earth, the Jesus image all over the earth. Well, I'm going to, I always get a handout. I've done this for many years. It's just kind of my style. I don't always cover it all, and I tell stories that are not included, but uh, I'd like you to pull the handout out if you have a hard copy or in your phone, whatever. Because I want you to see the verses and and uh, to have some of the key points that I'm making that I'd like you to have a chance to remember. But I'm going to pray first. Father of glory, Father, we come before your glorious presence. And we thank you for your beloved son at your right hand. And Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence right now in our midst. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what you do best and what you enjoy most. You would take the things of Jesus and impart them to us. That you would awaken and revive and stir and renew our hearts to love him with all of our heart. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm calling this message, The Life That God Calls Great. I mean, that's what we all want, isn't it? We want a life. And when we stand before the Lord on the last day, he says that your choices were great. Your life choices were great. Now, not all of them, but he, through the lens of grace, he's very generous with his evaluation. But I want to live a lifestyle for years that where he says, yeah, you stumbled here and there, but many of your life choices, I esteemed them. They were in honor of my son. So I'm going to highlight throughout this teaching John 13 to 17. I'm in a, a, a season here at International House of Prayer, IHOP in Kansas City. For about the last 18 months, I've been teaching on John 13 to 17, these five chapters. For uh, like every Friday night, myself and, and one of my dear friends, Stuart Greaves, 
We teach every Friday night, and for about 50 weeks in a row, we have addressed various phrases from John 13 to 17. So I would like you to be aware, some of you already are, but others of you, this is a new idea. This is the greatest teaching, these five chapters, not my version of them, but the, the teaching, that's the verses themselves. John 13 to 17 is the greatest teaching of the greatest teacher in human history. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to take these five chapters and going to emphasize them in the conversation of the global body of Christ, preparing the church as a mature bride before the Lord returns. Now, I've always loved John 13 to 17. I mean, we all do. But it was 18 months ago. On March 3rd, 2021, I had a very remarkable encounter. And I've had a few encounters. I've been walking with the Lord for 50 years. I've had a few encounters that are very dramatic, and, and this is one of them. I had been calling our, our, our IHOP staff and our church family here. We, we have a staff, but then we have something larger than our staff, which is the larger IHOP spiritual family, our local church. But I was calling our staff. Uh, uh, from Revelation 3, we all know the passage, the Laodicean church where Jesus said, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I want to deliver you from spiritual boredom and spiritual dullness. And I want to give you gold. I'll offer you gold. He tells this to the Laodiceans. I'm, I'm wanting to give you spiritual gold and I'm wanting to feed you for you to dine at my table. And he says in Revelation 3.20, I knock at the door of your heart. He's knocking on the door of the heart of the church. Now, we often use this verse for unbelievers, which is okay. But he's actually knocking on the door of the church. I think he's doing that globally right now, saying, I want a greater entry into your heart, a greater openness of your heart to me. And if you do that, I will deliver you from spiritual boredom and dullness. I will feed you myself spiritually. So I had focused on this for five or six Friday nights. We meet every Friday night and our, our staff does it. And we have a, a, a service where we talk on intimacy with God. We're so much in unity. I, I love Michael that you do the same thing. I love it. And uh, we track with you. And so that's what we know. We love your, your worship uh, teams and the style and the intimacy focus. We love the teaching. We love what you're emphasizing and calling people to. But anyway, so 18 months ago, about five or six weeks in a row, we locked into this passage of Revelation 3, not thinking so much how bad we are as Laodiceans, but we did recognize we need to be delivered from some of our spiritual dullness. And uh, Lord, feed us. So now it's one afternoon, March 3rd, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in my office, and I'm just praying. And I've got my lights dim. They're still on, but they're dimmed. And I'm saying, Lord, help us. Help deliver us. And I am shocked. I see an open vision. Now, some people talk about open visions very kind of easily and, you know, often. I don't. This is the second open vision I, I've had in 50 years. And what I mean by an open vision, I actually saw a movie screen-like reality on the wall. I mean, I'm blown away by it. I had one other years ago. I won't go into that. But this, I saw this big door, about an eight-foot door right there in the wall and the door opens towards me and I look into a room filled with golden light and glory. I'm awestruck. I'm wishing that light would come on me. I'm wide awake in the natural. I'm just looking at it 
a bit overcome that I'm seeing it. I mean, if you've ever had a vision, I get this is my second one, an open vision. It takes you a minute to figure out I'm having an open vision because you're going like, what's on the wall? Anyway, the door opens, this gold room of golden light, and the Lord speaks to me real clearly from Revelation 3.20, the passage we were focusing on for about six weeks, where it says, Jesus says, open the door of your heart and I'll come feed you. And the Lord says this to me, if you open the door of your heart to me, that's Revelation 3.20, I will open the door of my glory to you. And if you read Revelation 3.20, read two verses later, forget the chapter divide, says Revelation 4. Forget that there's a chapter divide because it's the same conversation. John sees a door of glory opened in heaven. So the Lord's saying, if you open the door of your heart to me, if my people will, I will open the door of my glory to them. And I will feed them spiritually, just like he says in Revelation 3.20. And the Lord makes it crystal clear that in John 13 to 17, he fed them in John 13. That's the Last Supper. And he washed their feet. We know the passage. He fed them a physical food at the Last Supper. Then John 14, 15, 16, 17, he fed them a spiritual meal. And I am sure when Jesus says, I will feed you in Revelation 3, that John remembers years ago, back in the upper room, you know, 60 years earlier or whatever the time was. He's an elderly man seeing the book of Revelation. The spiritual meal that God, Jesus fed them was John 14, 15, 16, 17. And the Lord speaks to me crystal clear. He goes, if my people will open the door of their heart to me, I will open the door of my glory and I will feed them. I will feed them from my table spiritually. And he made it really clear. John 13 to 17, I'm going to put this into the global conversation of the body of Christ that millions of people are going to teach on it. And I'm, and I thought, wow, I'm John 13 to 17, some, but admittedly, I've been teaching the Bible on a weekly basis for 50 years. I'm on, on year 50. I started in 1972 and I'm thinking, I'm a little embarrassed. I haven't taught on it that much in 50 years. Gee whiz. I looked over my catalog of teachings. I was going, Lord, I apologize for this. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea how dear this passage was to you. And so I just, my first point, before we even look at anything on the notes, I just want to put into your conversation as a spiritual family, John 13 to 17. How important are these five chapters? Well, I think it's the greatest teaching given by the greatest teacher in human history. And he fed the early apostles this spiritual meal. And beloved, he's going to feed us this meal. So I started. I said, okay, to our whole team, I go, I'm going to start teaching on it. I wish at this level I knew more about it, but I'm going to. And so we did 10 or 15 weeks. I thought, wow, you only got to, you know, then 10 or 15 more. We've done about 50. And we, I think there's, we have about 50 more weeks on Friday night. And we always have a handout and teaching on it. We're taking phrase by phrase just, and we're just, uh, just, uh, 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 you know, savoring us, the word I'm looking for. It's like, Lord, what, Holy Spirit, what, why did Jesus say this phrase? Feed my heart from the spirit of glory. Open the door of glory to me. Okay, now we're going to the teaching notes. And again, we won't finish all these, but uh, just give you some here. I'm going to start with a very remarkable statement 
I mean, this is remarkable. Jesus made this in Matthew chapter 5, uh, early on in his ministry. He says this statement, whoever breaks one of the least of my commandments and teaches men to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's a staggering statement. Now, notice this. This might be a new idea. Both groups, the ones called least and the ones called great, are both in the kingdom of heaven. They're both born-again believers, and they're all in the new Jerusalem. They're living forever. So what Jesus means by he, they will be called great, he's saying, my father will call your life choices great on that day. And God loves everybody in his family equally. We're equally significant. But every believer is going to have a different spiritual capacity, a different evaluation of their life on the earth. I could go on and on about that point. I, I love to teach on the judgment seat of Christ because I see it as a glorious reality. Now, what's new to some people is this idea, I have it in John 15, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, is that we will, though we're all equally significant in the resurrection, I'm talking about several billion believers forever, we're all loved by the Father equally, but we will all have a different capacity of glory, a different function, we'll have different responsibilities, we'll have different rewards, and that's a subject not talked that much about. But I think it's a very, very important subject. Paul says here at 1 Corinthians 15, as one star differs from another star in glory, so also in the resurrection, everyone will differ. Everybody will. And, and I see spiritual rewards, eternal rewards. I've done quite a bit of teaching on that. I, I think I have a 15-part series, something like that I cut a few years ago. And spiritual rewards is Jesus declaring publicly how he, on that day in eternity, how he felt about the way you loved him in this life. Spiritual rewards aren't about me being higher or lower than you or people strutting for people to say, I don't care about awards. So I go, I think you might. <laughs> Jesus taught more about them than any other person in the Bible. It's really him expressing how he felt about the way his people loved him on the earth. And he's very generous and extravagant. He wants He's going to give garments different according to our obedience. He's going to give crowns and thrones. And there's, again, I got there's lots on that. I don't want to go into that right now. But, you know, the bride on the last day will have garments related to her acts of righteousness. It says in Revelation 19, we'll be wearing our love forever. We'll have garments that declare the way we loved him. That's really important. But anyway, the point I want to look at here, can you imagine somebody, you, me, Somebody, the Lord's saying, through the lens of his grace, of course, your life choices, I call them great. Not all of them, but many of them. And I'm generous in my evaluation. I can't imagine anything more important than this. And I want to live for him to say that to me on that day. Okay, paragraph B. Well, I've already said paragraph B. John 13 is the greatest teaching of the greatest teacher in human history. Let's look at paragraph C. Now, he's given John 13 to 17 on Thursday night. We know he dies Friday afternoon. So this is Thursday night, the Last Supper, the night before he dies. Let's back up two days to Tuesday because he says something on Tuesday 
that's really significant to what he says here on Thursday. So paragraph C, on Tuesday, he made a statement that we're all very familiar with. It's only two days before the Last Supper. He got up and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. We all know that passage. But here's the remarkable part. He says, let me tell you something about that passage. This is what my father calls the first priority in the kingdom. And this is what my father calls a life that is great. This is the great commandment and the first one. I mean, that is remarkable. But I know with certainty what God calls great. I don't have to guess. It's a lifestyle of pursuing loving God with all my heart. It's not about me having a bigger impact than you. It's not about me having more money, more miracles. I mean, I like blessing. I really do. My God's going to evaluate my life and call it great based on this. He's not going to call my life great based on accomplishments of how much impact I had. I appreciate impact. I really do. But I am not guessing at all how he's evaluating my life. This is fantastic that we have this insight in this age. What humans know with certainty, with total reliability, what God will call great on the last day. And so anyway, what a fantastic reality. Now, all the Jews knew, love the Lord your God. That was a very famous uh, uh, verse. Moses said it back in Deuteronomy 6. And they said it every day in Israel, love the Lord your God. What they didn't know, what Moses didn't know, that God calls this first, and he calls this the lifestyle that is great. But we know this. And I've had this verse in my heart for some for so many years, but I've prayed this prayer. Lord, shock me now. No, don't shock me then. If I'm living outside of the pursuit of this, and I'm not aware of it, which I do sometimes. I live outside of it, and I'm not aware of it. Tell me. I don't, I know what, I know what the litmus test is of greatness. It's this, you know, there's going to be people that no one ever heard of. There's going to be people that had no following. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any great spiritual gifts, whatever, whatever, but they pursued this lifestyle and we're going to have the, they're going to have the shock of their life when they stand before Jesus. And he says, your life was great in my sight. They're going to go, are you kidding me? No one ever even heard of me. Because this isn't according to your achievements or your impact or those things. This is according to the heart response. And that's the way that the Lord's going to evaluate me. Okay, let's go on to paragraph E. Now we're jumping into the middle of John 13 to 17. And again, uh, having done 50 weeks on there, this is kind of hard for me just to jump into right in the middle of the conversation. But I'm going to do it anyway because it's good to do that. Let's jump right into John 14, verse 14. He gives a verse we're all familiar with, but I'm not sure that we all apply this verse in the way that Jesus wanted us to apply it. He says in John 14, verse 14, we all know it, ask anything, I'll do it. And often we say that verse and we kind of end it there. But Jesus goes on, and actually, the implication is in verse 15, he tells them what he wants them to ask first. He goes, if you love me, you will obey me. The implication is, 
I'm giving you a wide open blank check. Ask me anything you want. They're thinking, man, I could this. I went that, and I asked the Lord for lots of, you know, for increase of this and that favor and circumstances. He goes, but Jesus is saying, but listen, my beloved disciples, if you want to ask me what's most important to me, ask me for the ability to walk in the first commandment, to love me with the spirit of obedience. He goes, and because we know it takes God to love God. I mean, it takes the power of God for my weak mind and my weak heart. It takes God's power for me to say, stay steady in this. And when I first began to pursue the first commandment to love this lifestyle some years ago, I wasn't aware of how unsteady my mind and my emotions were. I mean, I knew they were not that great, but I slipped from this here and there. And the Lord said, I gave you the open blank checkbook. Ask me anything. Ask me for the grace to do this. At, above all your other prayers. Now, I, again, I pray for spiritual gifts. I pray for impact. I pray for God to touch my friends, my family. Pray for financial breakthrough. I love all those things. But I want to pray for this more than anything. Father, or Jesus, would you give me the grace by the Holy Spirit to love you? And Jesus, I think, is saying, you got it. You're actually asking what I was pointing to in John 14. Of course, in the verse 16, the most natural thing that happens in my heart when I start pursuing this lifestyle, I'm going to love him with all my strength, all my mind, all my heart, all, you know, all my soul. Those four dimensions that he mentions in Mark chapter 12, verse 20, four dimensions, all your heart your mind, your will, and, and, and your strength, and your soul. Then the first thing that hits you on that pursuit of lifestyle, and of course, those of you are very aware of this, Lord, I'm weak. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you Holy Spirit help. That's what verse 6 is, the very next verse. It's actually he's unpacking a logical sequence of thought here. He goes, use the prayer, the anointing of faith in prayer, Engage in the first commandment, and when you go, oh, no, I'm weak, understand. I've given you the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. Talk to him. The Bible calls that fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. That phrase is used several times in the New Testament. Talk to him, and he will anoint you. He will inspire your thinking. He'll reveal the love of God to you. He'll give you understanding of how to love him back. He'll inspire your understanding. And when you even forget this whole pursuit, he'll remind you. And so the, the greatest work of the Spirit in human history, I mean, obviously salvation, we get born again. But after that, it's for the, for the Spirit to empower me to love Jesus consistently. The greatest work of the Spirit. I mean, I love raising the dead. I've never done it, but I, mean, I, I think I would love it. <laughs> I'm not sure I would. I love miracles. I love all kinds of things of the power of God. But the greatest anointing of the Spirit in my life is to be the anointing to walk in the first commandment consistently. Okay, let's look at paragraph F. Now, I'm going to repeat the same thing in paragraph F. When Jesus said, ask anything here in John 14, he's actually, they all knew this. He goes, let's go back to Tuesday again. We just went back to Tuesday a few months ago when he said, love the Lord your God. That was Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday morning, he said something very important to them on Tuesday morning. And I have the verse here. You can look it up later. 
Some of you know the verse very well. It's in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter, uh, wait, oh, oh, I skipped. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I missed something on my notes here. I went to paragraph G. Let's go back to paragraph F. <laughs> when Jesus said, ask anything, uh, again, he's, he's pointing them to the grace of God to love him. About an hour or two later, because he's in John 14, now we're in John 17. And we know the famous prayer of John 17. He ends that 26th verse called the high priestly prayer. Every line, every phrase is so significant. But look how he ends that prayer. Then he goes to the garden at 70. Look how he ends it. He goes, the overflow of his heart. He goes, Father, this is it. This is the final crescendo of his heart. He goes, Father, the love with which you love me with supernaturally imparted in them. Can you believe that he prayed that? He's, in essence, he's not just modeling the prayer. This is the overflow of his heart. But he's actually modeling to the apostles. Hey, an hour or two ago in John 14, I told you to ask anything. And then I told you to love me and then get the Holy Spirit's power to love me. Here, I'm crying out this for you. Did you imagine that I and you by the Spirit could love Jesus with the love the Father loves him with? Are you kidding me? I mean, this is beyond exaggeration. I saw this verse years ago, and I said, I'm making this my life verse. I'm making John 17, 26. I'm as in my 20s when I first saw this. I'm in my 60s now. I'm an old guy. I'm 67. But I remember in my 20s, I stumbled into this. I go, no way. This is this can't be real. And however many years since then, 40 plus years that I've been praying this prayer, I'll admit, I'm not as far along in loving Jesus as I hoped I would be 40 years later. But I have made progress. But I would think years ago I'd be much further than I am now. I hope that's not discouraging. But I know I love him way more now than I did 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago by the power of God. My thoughts are more lined up. My emotions are more in line. I still got quite a ways to go. But uh, I look at this prayer. I don't know if this is a true statement, but I want this to be the prayer I pray most. I mean, I know that's true. I want it to be, but I, I think it might be. I don't know. I say, Father, he said, Jesus said that you would put the love you have from in me. That's what he told me to pray in John 14. Then he prayed it himself in the overflow of his heart. And it happened to model it for us that he really meant that. Okay, now let's go to paragraph G. I kind of lost my way there for a second. Paragraph G, he's saying again, ask anything. But what he, that's Thursday night, you know, the night before the Last Supper, he dies on Friday. They all knew two days earlier on Tuesday. They all knew he said this to them two days earlier. In this famous verse, Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Now, you guys are really equipped <laughs> compared to a lot of ministries. I don't mean to say that in a strange way, but so you're probably really familiar with this, but in the seventies, because I was in my twenties in the seventies, a young pastor and, and the faith movement, the word of faith movement was becoming world famous in the seventies. That was new. And then the eighties, it got big one everywhere around the world in the nineties. You've heard of the word of faith movement. It was, based in Tulsa, it's all over the world now. 
the key verse was Mark 11, 23 and 24. And some of you are very familiar with this verse. And what happened is that thousands of preachers around the world in the 70s, 80s, and 90s made this verse world famous. Or let's put it this way. It, be, it got into the conversation of the people of God around the world. Can you? And I don't have it written here, but many of you know it. It's just if you ask for anything, believing it, you're going to get it. Mark 11, 24. I've heard that verse for 50 years. The word of faith moment. And now the word of faith, there's some ex, you know excesses and some abuses. I don't want to get into that. But God anointed Mark 11, 23 and 24. He anointed it, I believe, to prepare the entire church for great miracles. He wants, and so though some have abused it and, and misused it, again, that's not my point to go into that. But my point is the spirit anointed Mark 11, 24. And he offered it. But here's the point I want to tell you. I have it written here. Let's go back a thousand years before Jesus, King Solomon. You know, there's King David, a thousand years BC, and his son Solomon, right after King David. So they're both about a thousand years BC. And Solomon's a young king. And the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. You know what the Lord tells him in a dream? He gives him the faith uh, message, the faith movement message. He gives Solomon, Mark eleven twenty four, a thousand years ahead of time. He goes, Solomon, ask anything you want. Wait a second. In the dream, that verse isn't until a thousand years till Jesus came. Well, the Lord gave it to Solomon a thousand years ahead of time. I mean, that's a remarkable, you know, God just borrowed it from the future and pulled it back and said, here you have it, Solomon. You know what Solomon said? Give me the anointing of wisdom and knowledge that I would know your heart and teach people your ways. And the Lord said, he was a young man. The Lord said, Solomon, good job. Because I was only testing you, Solomon. You could have used that verse, that promise, it's real. To ask for riches, honor, and long life. But you ask for the anointing of wisdom and knowledge of my heart to impart it to my people. He goes, good choice, Solomon. Good choice. However, I'm going to go ahead and give you riches, honor, and long life. But a thousand years later, on this Tuesday, Jesus says that verse. Now we're on Thursday, and he says that verse in Mark 13 on Tuesday. I mean, Mark 11. Now we're in John 14 on Thursday. He says it again in essence. I mean, it's the same verse. I mean, it's the same idea. But here's my point. 50 years ago, when the Lord breathed on this verse, I mean, before 1970, almost nobody ever heard of that verse. By 50 years later, it is world famous. God anointed that faith, word of faith movement to make that verse known. But here's the problem. Many people use the anointing to get anything they want through faith, and they ask for riches, honor, and long life. That's the they failed the test that Solomon passed. The Lord says, I don't mind you using it there, but I would have that you would have asked me for the anointing to love me. That's what I really wanted you to use the word of faith to grow in the love of God first. Then you can express it those ways. And I I like using the, the, the principle of faith for the other things. I want to ask for wisdom and knowledge of God's heart. John 14, Jesus said, anything you want, the faith message, have it. What do you want? John 14, 14, verse 15, he goes, ask to love me. 
Oh, but I'm so weak. I give you the Holy Spirit. Interact with him. And you'll see that it, it will go. Okay, let's go ahead to the paragraph H. Now this, I talk about the first commandment. That's my life message is to call people to the first commandment. It's not my only message. If I had a life message, I would think Michael is very similar to you. It's the beauty of Jesus calling people to the Mary of Bethany lifestyle. But in one sentence, it's to preach the beauty of Jesus to call people to the first commandment. And I've got a few other things after that, but that is what I am most locked into. I am confident. I'm going to prophesy to you. This is an easy prophecy. Before Jesus returns, the first commandment will be in first place in the global body of Christ. The body of Christ is going to be transformed hundreds of millions with a Laodicean spirit of spiritual compromise or spiritual dullness or call it spiritual boredom. They're going to be transformed to be a mature bride before the Lord returns. I am positive that the word of faith movement in principle is going to lay hold of this promise of a life that is first and great in God's eyes. And that anointing to love God is going to, I think there's millions walking in it right now, but hundreds of millions of born again believers are walking in it. And I'm not like yelling at them and telling them how bad they are. I'm stirring the millions. Well, I don't have millions listening to me, but you know what I mean? My prayers for the millions to get the hundreds of millions on board with this, but the Lord's going, you think I'm not going to make that happen? <laughs> it's my bride, and this is my word, and the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to restore and establish the first commandment to first place worldwide. And the reason that's important, because we're weak human beings in the flesh, I want to assure you this is doable. This progression, like I said, I'm not as far as I hoped to be. To be. I've been praying this verse for over 40 years. I hoped I'd be further, but I'm a lot further than I used to be. <laughs> but I still want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. I have my name on this passage. I'm going to love Jesus, love the Father does. But anyway, when I call the people here to this, I tell them, because some people go, oh, that's so intense. Come on, man. What about the grace of God? I mean, what about chill and the Holy Spirit? You know, and come on. You're always calling us to be wholehearted, to give more of your heart to him. And what I tell them, I go, listen, the greatest pleasure available to the human spirit is the ability for God to reveal God to me, and God to love God through me. When God reveals God to me, I'm meaning the Holy Spirit reveals the Father and the Son. And when I love God, it's the most pleasurable lifestyle available to the human spirit. I tell young people, I'm not pushing negatively, and I'm not apologizing for calling you to this. I'm contending for your greatness. I'm contending for your breakthrough. I'm contending for you to see that this spiritual pleasure of loving God by the power of God is the most pleasurable experience any human can have in this age or the age to come. There's nothing more pleasurable to the human frame than the ability to love God by the power of God or to see the beauty of God by the revelation of God again. That's God, the Holy Spirit, revealing God, the Father of the Son. Okay, let's look at paragraph I. Now, if John 13 to 17 is, in fact, the greatest teaching of the greatest teacher in history, and by the way, it is a fact. <laughs> There's nothing more intense in, in any teaching in the Bible, those five chapters. 
many theologians have called it the holy of holy of Jesus's teaching. And I don't know if you have to use that phrase, but it is the greatest. Here's my point. We're still in John 14. I want you to notice something. Five times in a row, from John 14 on, from verse 15 on, he emphasizes love God, love God, love God, love God, love God. Nothing could be more clear in the greatest teaching in human history, and yet it isn't the primary teaching of the body of Christ right now. It's going to be. And I look at this, I go, what could be more clear than this? And, and, and I want you to catch this paragraph, Jay. Jesus, this is really important. He linked loving Jesus, loving him to the spirit of obedience. I mean, what could be more clear than this? Look at this, verse 15. If you love me, obey me. Verse 21. If you obey me, you love me. Verse 23. If you love me, you'll obey me. Verse 24. If you don't love me, you won't obey me. Verse 31. I love God, I obey him. Not using my own words there. It's like rapid fire. It's like a jackhammer. What could be more clear than that? So when I look at this uh, loving Jesus, we have to love Jesus on his terms. And the reason I say that is that a lot of folks use words, they use biblical words, love, mercy, grace, kingdom, dignity, all kinds of uh, biblical words, but they don't use the biblical definitions. And there's many definitions for love and mercy and grace and justice in the culture that Jesus, did, they don't agree with Jesus. And my point isn't to go through all that, but my point is to say this. I tell young people, listen, I'm not being heavy on you. I'm actually giving you the key to a liberated heart. I'm giving you the key to spiritual pleasure. I'm giving you the key to a life that God calls great. You can you can start into it now. There is no such thing as loving Jesus apart from a spirit of obedience. There's no such thing. It's a, it's a deception. And what I mean by a spirit of obedience, that's a very important phrase I use. I don't mean the mature attainment of obedience. The spirit of obedience is when we set our heart to obey. It may be a while before we break through in that area. But the setting of the heart is what I, I aim people for. The guy goes, I set my heart to obey, but I stumbled again. And again, I go, okay, keep coming back to the setting of the heart. Because even though your love is weak and flawed, it's still real. Because weak love is still real. My love is still flawed, but it's real. And so I tell people, don't think your love is only real when you have a breakthrough of that area of obedience. Yeah, you'll get the breakthrough and don't give up. But keep signing up for spirit of obedience. Keep realigning your heart. Call sin, sin. Don't rationalize it. Call it out. Declare war on it and receive his forgiveness and push the lead on that. Meaning don't walk in condemnation. Well, it's a week later I fell again. Okay, okay. Set your heart again. And your, and your love is real. It's still immature, but it's real if you're doing that. So don't wait until some day when you're more mature than Paul the Apostle. Finally, I love God. No, you're loving God right now with a spirit of obedience. I just wanted to put that in there. And I want to tell people that the, I don't apologize for calling people to radical obedience because I know that's what God calls greatness in their heart. Okay, let's uh, go to page two. <clears throat> Go to page two. We're just going to go a few more minutes. 
because you know preachers preach i could go for hours on this any of you could i, I mean not maybe not any of you but many of you could but i'm just giving you some little sound bites to kind of stir up your heart to john 13 to 17 just to go deeper on it and again i'm not trying to advertise my ministry but on my website i have 50 of these messages with handouts and transcriptions and my copyrights the right to copy you can have it yourself i, I tell people put your name on it put your mom's name on it i don't care take anything you want from these handouts and these transcripts put them in your own documents don't mention me at all do something with it if it touches you it's yours like i said put your mom's name on it <laughs> whatever okay let's look at roman number two this really moves me roman number two we're in john 14 21 now we were just in john 14 verse 15. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's a couple of verses later, he says it again. But now in verse 21, he goes, if you love me, you'll obey me. I'm paraphrasing. He adds two more promises. These two promises are massive. Then in verse 23, he repeats it again. If you love me, you'll obey me. And he adds two more promises. So from verse 21 and verse 23, four more promises connected to this idea of the anointing to love it. Now, we're not going to look at all of them tonight, of course, but I just want you to be aware. I like to tell this to people. It sometimes surprises them when I say this because I, you know, I'm real focused on the first commandment. I say the most detail on the first commandment in the Bible is in John chapter 14. But at a quick read, you won't see it. At a quick read, you'll go, really? This is the most detailed equipping on the first commandment are you kidding me it doesn't seem that way well let's go through it slow verse by verse but anyway i'm talking to the right group you guys are first commandment people you're mary of bethany i love luke 10 42 it's one of our main verses here it's one of your main verses we are kindred <laughs> i love that you know as i've seen some of your material you know the luke, luke 10 12, 42 this one thing that you've chosen the good thing you set before me. I go, oh, I love it. I'm just so excited seeing that in print on ministries around the world. I love you because you love Jesus. I love you anyway, but I really love it that you love Jesus. Okay, let's look at John 14, verse 21. There's two promises. I'm not only going to hit one of them. And in verse 23, there's two more. I'm not even going to go there tonight. So he repeats the same thing in verse 21 as he said, verse 15. If you love me, obey me look at this phrase he goes because he has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and he who loves me promise one will be loved by my father this is a strange promise because it seems well, i thought the father already loved me like what and then he goes now manifest myself to him first of all this phrase has captured my heart uh he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me let's look at that in paragraph b it is he who loves me and it the esv you know the uh, that ver that's that uh, uh translation says he it is who loves me can you imagine jesus on the last day i i imagine this i'm standing there you're standing there and we're all together before god and the lord and jesus says points to you and said he it is who loved me on the earth how could you imagine those words from his mouth about you? He said that it is he who loves me. And he's going to say that again openly. Imagine 
that said to you, this is my life passion. This is my life vision to have that phrase said to me on that day. Well, let's look at this paragraph C because this is only, only going a couple more minutes. Paragraph C, I want to tell you, is a promise. I don't want to sound arrogant as I say this because this could sound arrogant. I don't like arrogant statements. <laughs> Although sometimes I make them in the Lord because that was arrogant. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> but I almost hear nobody talk about this verse, this promise. And so it's arrogant because it's I'm talking about it, but my point is to stir you up because I've read many commentators, commentaries, and many skip this phrase. He's making a very distinct promise that's very unique here. He's not saying what's been said a hundred times about God loving people, God so loved the world. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something different here. And it's easy to miss it. But in John 13 to 17, I got it written there. He says it three times. And matter of fact, that's the only time he ever said, if you love me, my father will love you. Well, Jesus, is that doesn't sound like good doctrine to me. It sounds like it's a little bit confusing, paragraph D, because it sounds like God will love me because I love Jesus. I thought God so loved the world and God loved me first. That's why I do love Jesus. That's true. Well, Jesus, are you a little bit confused here? You're telling me that God will love me because I love you. Mm, and I worked on that over the years. I always went, I know it. Jesus is not confused on the doctrine of grace. He means something more than meets the eye at a quick read. Everybody knows John. I think I have it written in my notes. Everybody knows John 419. We love God because he first loved us before we ever thought of him. Jesus doesn't begin to love me after I love him. Our love for him springs from seeing his love for us and our weakness and brokenness. It's the revelation of his love for us that awakens our love back for him. So what's he talking about? Because he's saying something different than that. In paragraph E, Jesus spoke of two distinct expressions of love. Follow this now, okay? The first one is the one we all are familiar with. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He loved unbelievers, all of them, loved the world. But here's the point I said, I, I emphasize, for God so loved the world in fullness. And the reason I say in fullness, God can only love in fullness. It says in 1 John, God is love. He only loves with all of his strength and all of his heart. He loves the unbelievers in fullness. He doesn't love them more or less. He loves us totally before we ever even think one thought about him. And I have paragraph one here, and I got a bit more of this on, on my website because I don't want to spend so much time on this, but I just want to tip you off. This is one of the greatest promises in the Bible that almost I never, ever hear mentioned, and I want to, that to change. God's, I'm still paragraph one, the Father loves all people in the world redemptively. In the sense, he values every unbeliever. He values, cares for all eight billion in the earth. He's pursuing all eight billion. So he loves everyone redemptively. But in paragraph two, Jesus is using the word love in a very different way here. He's using the word love and just, I'm putting my word in, in the sense of he enjoys the relationship. He enjoys the fellowship of the relationship uh, with those that obey him. 
meaning he enjoys their life choices. I break it down here. He enjoys the fruit in their life. He enjoys working with them in partnership. It says in Mark 16, Jesus did, I mean, they did miracles for the Lord worked together with them. And, and what I mean by that is there's a couple of times in the Bible where uh, I have two of them written here, where this idea of God loves us because we responded. Like here it says in Psalm 91, he's giving a hint of what Jesus is saying. This is God speaking. Because this believer set his love on me, therefore I'm going to do this for him. Like, wow, that doesn't sound like the grace of God. Psalm 91 is actually a hint of what Jesus is talking about in John 13. But look at this. John 10, verse 17. Jesus says this himself. He goes, my father loves me because I lay my life down for you guys. Wait, I thought the father loved you before you. What? What do you mean he loves you because you laid your life down? Jesus, that's not biblical. And what he's saying is the father enjoys and delighted in my choice to do this. So he's using this word love here in John. The father will love you. He will enjoy your life choices. He will enjoy partner with you in a special way. He was up. Now there's a few phrases in the new Testament that give us the same idea, but different language. Paul said, and I think I have the verses there in the notes in second Corinthians five, nine, Paul says, it's my ambition to be well pleasing. That's, that's not just a believer who's struggling and they die and, and their faith is still immature, but it was sincere but immature. Paul's talking about something else. I'm not talking about just in the grace of God, God loving me and my struggles, and I died and I was still quite immature, but hey, I'm saved by the grace of God. I love it. I mean, I want to be, I mean, that is a beautiful thing. Paul says, no, no, I'm going for something more. I'm going for that, that, that way of life called well-pleasing. That's not, there's a billion believers on the earth. I mean, there might be some millions living in that, but hundreds of millions are not, and they're still born again. They're still saved by the grace of God. And there's other phrases like that. You know, uh, John spoke of being the disciple who God loved. He says that five times about himself. You mean he didn't love the other ones? What are we talking about? You're the one he loved, and he didn't mean the only one. But what John's saying is, I know by the Spirit, because John wrote this like in his 90s. He wrote the gospel way at the end. I know he delighted in my life interactions with him. He enjoyed the way we work together. Well, let's bring this to the analogy of natural fatherhood. A good father has two children. One child rebels. One child resists him at every point. The father loves that child, but he's always relating to that child through the exercise of patience. And he's, he's, he's grieved over the resistance and there's conflict. Paul's saying, son, this, this, and this. No, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to do this way. I love you, but there's, there's conflict in our relationship and there's strife and there's grief in my heart. I do love you. I love you like I love the other one, but I'm always loving you through the lens of patience. And I, and I but then the other son is like, father, I want to be where you are. I want to love what you love. I want to work with you. And the father goes, I don't love you more, but I enjoy the relationship. It's so easy. You love what I love, and I love what you love. And so that's the way that he's talking here. Okay, I'm going to take you just to the 
final uh, thing. We'll get in with this page F, paragraph F. This is this is the same kind of promise, kind of a different kind of. If there's a diamond with many facets, this is a different facet to this diamond of God enjoying our life, God calling our lifestyle, our choice is great, God loving us, meaning enjoying the walking together with us. Again, he loves all of his believers, but it's so much of it. He's, he's striving with them. Saying, Come on, like the Laodiceans. Jesus said, I'm speaking out of my mouth. What he meant is my heart has been sick over so many responses. He doesn't mean you make me sick. He's just going, my heart hurts over some of the ways you're choosing. And I want this other lifestyle. Look here at John and uh, paragraph F. And we look at it in, in Matthew 10. We're going to end with, with, I mean, we're going to end it with paragraph F. In Revelation 3, note how J Jesus is speaking to the church of Sardis. Notice how Jesus uses the word name, because the way he uses the word name in verse one is the way he's going to use the word name in verse five. You got to kind of pay attention to this. I'm doing this pretty fast, but he says to them, to this church at Sardis, he goes, I know your works. I know that you have a name, meaning you have a narrative about you as a collective church that you're spiritually alive, but really you're spiritually bored. You're not spiritually dead in the sense you're not born again, but no, you got a board. You're bored spiritually. There's spiritual dullness and compromise. You're not vibrant in your walk with me. There's still the church. Jesus calls them the church, and so he goes. You have a name, meaning not just a name, you know, Church of Sardis, but you have a reputation, a narrative about you that everyone around. Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, they think you're an on-fire church. But he goes, actually, you're not. He goes, here's what I want to tell you. Verse 5, if you overcome this spiritual lethargy, I, this, is this is indescribably glorious. If you'll overcome that spiritual lethargy, if you'll overcome that spiritual boredom and press into me and let me make your spirit vibrant in your walk with me, I will confess your name before my Father and the angels like what? He's saying this to overcomers only. He's saying, if you will press through this, I'm going to confess your name. Now, here's the point. When Jesus says, I'm going to confess your name, he's not reading a list of who's attending. You know, like Bill, Tom, Susie, Elizabeth, Mary. He's not listing names. It's not a roll call. When he says, I'll confess your name, he's saying, I'm going to tell the story about you. When he goes, you guys have a name, you have a narrative told about you that you're spiritually alive, but you're not. But if you'll overcome this, I'll confess your name. I'll tell your narrative. When I'm in the Father's presence with you on the last day, all the angels, I'm going to tell your story. I'm going to tell the narrative of how with so many challenges and even stumbles, you kept coming back, signing up to ask the Lord, John 14, anything, the anointing to love me, the Holy Spirit's power to do it. Now, we all know the verse in, in uh, Matthew chapter 10 there. He goes, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And a lot of folks have kind of reduced this to a very small thing. Like if you'll say, I love Jesus, on the last day, Jesus will include you in the roll call. No, Jesus is saying much more than you saying, I love Jesus. Hey, I confess your name. No, he's saying, tell my story. Tell my narrative. Tell people about me. Enter into my narrative and make it known. 
and then I'll tell the story about you on that last day. I'll tell the story of the way you loved me. And again, we think some people hear that and they go, I'm not trying to get attention in the eyes of men. No, it's not. I don't want him to tell me that so that you hear it and go, Mike, you're a cool guy. That isn't, that, I wouldn't, him to look at me and say, I want to testify to you. It is, you are one that loved me. Now I'm going to tell the story. When you were in your 20s, blah, 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 in your 30s, blah, 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 in your 40s, and you stumbled into this and you had obstacles and challenges, but you kept coming back. You kept coming back. You kept coming back. And I want to testify before my father. This guy loved me. Would you fathom something like that? Now, this idea, he tells it before the father. Well, the father knows everything. He knows how you loved him. You know, here at, we have staff meetings. On our Friday nights, our staff gathers up every Friday. And we'll have, uh, 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 you know, we got 30, 40 departments in, in, the, in our missions organization here. I don't know how many, some number like that. And every week, typically, we have one department of about 10 or 15 people. They go on the stage and we open up the mics. And, and there's like, we have 600 on our staff. So the six, they raise their own support. So they're not like all normal church members, but it's their full-time occupation. So we have an open mic and those 10 or 15 people on the stage, we have about 20 or 30 people and they give only 60 seconds. We call it love bombing. And we'll say, Bill, they're in the blue shirt. I love them. And we love bomb them. And often the guys on the stage cry because about 10 or 20, or 30 people said, now we get 30 seconds apiece. We call it the love bomb sessions. That is so moving. We all love that. We do it for about 15 or 20 minutes, not every week, but most weeks. But think about this. Think about this now. It's not a few believers telling the guy up on the stage, you're so dedicated. I appreciate the way you love God. It's Jesus in the court of majesty. We're talking the king, the father is there. This isn't a few friends telling us at a private dinner and it makes us cry. This is Jesus with the myriads of angels and the father. And the father already knows the story. But Jesus says, I want it told in the presence of majesty. That's how much the way that you loved me moved me. And I will never forget it. I love telling the story. One of our favorite things in our staff is that those love bomb sessions. We love to tell the others how great they are and the way they love God. Jesus loves that more than you and I do. He will confess your name. But the Father will say, I love the way they lived. Or the father will say, I call their life choices great. Or Jesus will say, he it is that loved me. There's a dozen ways to say it. But anyway, I just want to leave you with that. I'm going to pray for you and let your worship team come up and, and take it from here. But Father, I thank you for the set heart of hundreds of young people and older ones as well. But this ministry that I ask you, the set heart of Jesus' image, the set heart of Psalm 91, the Lord says, you set your heart to love me, therefore. And he could say many things. And I want to say, I know you have set your heart to love him. Keep pressing on. When the obstacles come, and when the delay of promises, and when you're stumbled, the biggest obstacles when we fail at our own, jump back up. Call it failure, repent of it, push the leap, and jump back up. The wholehearted love, my love's not very weak. I mean, very strong, it's weak, but the Lord says, your love is real. 
Stay with the spirit of obedience. Use the anointing of faith to grow. The first commandment to love me, and I will not disappoint you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Michael. Wow. I love you, Jesus. Wow. You all just remain standing. That was, yeah. Could I have some strings, please? I'd like the entire band up, you guys. Are okay. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? Just lift your hands to heaven. If there was ever a word from the Lord given to us uh, as a church family, it was that. I remember. Uh, when the Lord began to reveal himself to me. Uh, these thoughts, these statements would leap in my heart. And one was, if loving Jesus is the first and great commandment, when will it be the first and great message of the church? And tonight, uh, to hear Mike say the exact same thing, it just blows me away. And to be honest, as much as I love and honor Mike. I, I remember preaching in Buffalo in 2012 or something and somebody said, you, you're teaching. It sounds a lot like Mike's. This loving Jesus. And I had never heard uh, Mike teach at that time. But I fully believe 100% in what the Lord just gave Mike to share with us. Listen carefully now. Listen carefully. I guess the question I would like to ask with your eyes closed right there in God's presence, the question I'd like to ask you is why is it the first and great commandment? Why? I feel the Lord coming so close right now. Why is it the first and great commandment? And I believe the answer is, it's because that's what God wants the most from us, our love. To get daily teaching from Michael and to follow our event schedule around the world, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Image TV YouTube channel as well. By partnering with Jesus Image, you will help us take the saving and healing power of Jesus to the world. Your giving changes lives forever. For more information, please visit us online at JesusImage.tv or write us at Jesus Image, P.O. Box 950-640, Lake Mary, Florida, 32795. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus is the answer for every life everywhere.